Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yes, back to, uh, quote, a normal schedule. And uh, glad to have you here. Good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. Yeah, it's really good to be back to our usual, uh, you and me doing the show on a Sunday morning. I'm really looking forward to a well, a little semblance of normalcy again. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, an open line show. What does that mean? That means your general health questions for Dr. Hilden. And in fact, why don't I just uh, give the number right now? The number applies to both phone calls and text messages. So uh, we'll, we'll get it uh, off to an early start here and see how many questions we can get answered. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226 for uh, your calls and your text messages for Dr. Hilden. It's an open line show today. Well, how was your week uh, at the hospital, doctor? Well, thanks, Danny. It's been a, uh, the week has, has been a little better than the previous two to eight weeks. Um, so I think there's something to say, uh, in that the hospital is still quite full, uh, in general because of two reasons. One, people maybe don't realize this, but there's still a ton of coronavirus out there. And uh, we have uh, very full intensive care units for that reason. But also it's summer, and we're starting to see in our trauma and surgery units uh, quite a bit of uh, um, uptick in the number of patients coming in. All that being said, though, the hospital feels like it's just a a little bit on a, a slightly easier footing this last week. It's been really rough, you know, with the um, the uh, the George Floyd murder and the um, coronavirus and the fact that the Tennepins right in the middle of the downtown Minneapolis community were right in the middle of everything. So that has made for uh, some fairly intense weeks, I would have to say. But um, I'm hopeful that we're uh, at least flattening off and we're kind of in, at least in terms of COVID, we've reached a uh, um, at least a, a plateau, I think, is a better word to say. I don't know if we've peaked, but we've hit a plateau. What What's the uh, situation uh, with uh, your colleagues at Hennepin as far as the homemade uh, masks? Is that they are still welcome? I presume they are. In fact, we take uh, donations of those uh, still. The homemade masks have a place, and 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 in fact. It is one of the things we are becoming more confident with week after week is that the general public should be wearing masks when you're outside. And in our hospital, we are now asking all employees to wear one of three kinds of masks. When you come into the building, you can wear a homemade mask, but we are having them all, all staff now change to a surgical mask when you're in the hospital. And then you wear one of those 
fancy respirator N95 masks when you're seeing patients. So one of the reasons for the 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 economic slowdown, the shutdowns, the stay-at-home orders was to allow our entire society to get ready. And that is indeed what we have done. So we have a better supply of masks now, and we are able to, we have enough beds for you if you happen to get sick with COVID or anything else. And so that was what the lockdown was able to get us to do. The homemade masks, though, we are taking donations for a number of reasons. One, for staff when they come and go, but also for patients. When you send them, we send home dozens of patients every single day for a variety of reasons, and we're giving masks to patients when they leave. So if anyone's interested in donating, that's any, uh, you go to hennepinhealthcare.org, and there's a place to, for um, donation of both um, money but also of masks and other supplies. That's hennepinhealthcare.org. I know uh, we'll be getting questions about uh, the COVID-19, certainly, like we do uh, every every show. Uh, is, is there still a great amount of information that we're learning? Somebody put it uh, that we were, it's like drinking out of a fire hose, uh, that we uh, the, the information is constantly flowing in. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That was that's what medical students always say about medical school. They're trying to get a sip of water out of a fire hose. Yeah, that's a we we uh, that's an old phrase, uh, but it is. Um, this this thing is so new to us that um, it's something I've never had to do before because most every disease I have to treat, there's a textbook to go to or there's an online resource or there are colleagues who have seen it before. That's kind of how medical education and training works. You do all those things. You look it up in medical journals. And But even more importantly, you talk to your teachers who are in the same building with you. It's very much an apprenticeship mentoring kind of style. And so if I didn't know how to treat a certain disease, I would ask somebody older and wiser than me. I do that all the time. I still do that. But with COVID, there's nobody older and wiser. So the first-year doctor knows about as much as the 40-year-old veteran. And we're learning stuff every single week. And so we'll literally have a patient who is quite ill with COVID, and we all put our gowns and masks and those plastic face shields, and most of, most doctors and nurses are wearing head bonnets now. And so we put all that on, and then we look at each other and go, what would you do? I don't know. What would you do? Let's try this. Well, let's try that. It's just so new. And so we are learning all the time. There are a few things that we thought at the very beginning that maybe aren't turning out to be true um, mm. um, as we as we go along. Um, uh, one of them is that that we are still quite confident that it's spread by droplets. That's why the masks are the best thing people can do. There is some airborne transmission, which is not droplets, but more like a mist in the air. But maybe, just maybe, the transmission from surfaces isn't as serious as we initially thought, which would be a good sign. You're, in other words, you're probably not going to get this from your mail that you're getting in from your front door. You're probably not going to get this from the groceries you bring home. Many of us were wiping down everything from the grocery store with a sanitizing wipe before we put it in our fridge or our cupboard. And some of us are still doing that, but it's probably much lower risk than we initially thought um, that way. So, like I said, there's stuff we're learning all the time uh, uh, about drugs that might work and might not work, about uh, how it's passed, how it's transmitted. So, And, and you, of course, with the, your line of work, you've told us in past shows that uh, sometimes 
when you come home from the hospital, you take off your clothes like on your deck outside before you even get into the house. But maybe, for those of us who are not medical professionals, we don't necessarily have to wash our clothes every time we go to the grocery store, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's probably right, Danny. I still do because I kind of swim in a sea of COVID um, down at work every day. Um, but I, I, I take my clothes off and I take a shower when I get home from work. I don't think that's probably necessary for everybody else. Uh, it, it's, it's maybe not a bad idea if you're out in the community, if you're in public places. It's probably a good idea to change clothes and put the old ones in your laundry basket. I'm not sure you have to rush them right down to the laundry machine and, and act like, you know, they're radioactive. But if I were just out in the community and not in a hospital, I would likely probably not wear my the same clothes I'm wearing out. I wouldn't wear them around your house. I would probably at least change out of them still because it is floating around in the air. And as we start to open up our our restaurants and businesses and other places, um, if you are in in an indoor place, an indoor place, um, I would consider taking my uh, my clothes off and putting them in the laundry when I get home. If you are just out and about outside, I think it's maybe a little bit less um, important that you do that. But clearly, the the biggest worry is indoor places and indoor places where you are. Um, there for more than just a couple minutes walking through the grocery store probably relatively low risk sitting in any kind of establishment for an hour or two is much higher risk well i tell you what let's do let's take a quick break here and again invite our listeners to join in if you have a health question for dr david hilden call it in or text it in same number 651-989 9226. That applies to both, as I said, calls and your text questions. This is an open line show, so you'll be driving the show today. Your general health questions for the doctor. 651-989-9226. 56 degrees in the Twin Cities. We'll be back in just a moment here on News Talk 830-WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. That means your general health questions does not have to be about the virus, by the way. It can be about anything on uh, this uh, Sunday morning for Dr. David Hilden. Um, I know we've got, in fact, we've got some text messages too. If you want to call in your question, by the way, 651-989-9226. We have a bunch of text messages, and that's the same number if you'd rather send uh, your question via text, 651-989-9226. What's what's the situation on testing now uh, that, that you're aware of? Where are we? How do we stand there now here in the area yeah we've heard so much about testing of this uh this darn thing since uh, i don't know january february and what are we going to do about the various kinds of testing and a lot is has developed in that area as well the first kind of test there's three kinds of tests and so i thought i might tell people a little bit about each of those the first one is the one that we've heard about the most it's where you get a swab in your nose it's a real long swab. It's you know four or five inches long, and they stick it back in the back of your nose area, and and that is a test that's called a molecular test. In other words, it's looking for the genetic footprint of the virus in your body. So it's highly reliable, and what it does is tests if you have the virus at that moment. It's a snapshot in time. 
the, the it doesn't the the good thing about that test is that it allows us to determine how prevalent the virus is in the community right now. In Minnesota, that's the main thing you're seeing reported. And in Minnesota, we're doing reasonably well in that the number of molecular tests like that, the number of people with new infections is getting better and has been now for a few weeks. So each week we hear about just a, a, a smaller percentage of people are coming out positive, and that is exactly what you're hoping for. Because if fewer and fewer people are testing positive, that means the virus isn't spreading as rapidly, and um, that means we can slowly dial up the opening of our of our state. Unfortunately, in a, something like 20 or 21 states in the country, that number is going up. And it is not just the percent, or it's not just the, because they're doing more testing, it's literally because more people are becoming infected. So the state that's in a really bad shape right now is Arizona, um, and uh, other ones that are in a really bad shape are Florida and Texas and the Carolinas states that opened up relatively early. So that's the molecular test. There's a second rapid swab test, which is not nearly as accurate. So, But that's sort of like your strep throat test that you can get and have the results back in 15 minutes. They can swab your mouth, and, and it's pretty good, but it's not great. So if it's negative, in other words, you don't test for the virus, it's, it's hard to know what to make of that one. So that one's not quite as useful yet, but it's going to be much more, much more useful. The third test is the antibody test. Now, that's a blood test. The other two are swabs. This one's a blood test, and it is looking to see if you've ever been tested, uh, or excuse me, if you've ever had the virus in the past, because it leaves its footprint in your body. Your immune system learns about it, fights it off, and has antibodies that float around in your bloodstream. These are proteins that are floating around in your bloodstream. They are sort of the army of soldiers that your body mustered, got at the ready, so that the, if you ever encounter this bug again, the army's going to be ready to go, and they live in your blood for a great long time. What we just don't know is how good of soldiers are they and how long do they last. For for some viruses like measles, those things seem to last in your body forever, and so and you so that's why you don't get it a second time. For other things, those antibodies last only a few months, or and for, for instance, the influenza. So we have to get shots a lot. So that's what we're going to learn about antibodies as more and more people get that testing. So there's those three kinds of testing, and fortunately in Minnesota, particularly at my hospital at Hennepin, we're doing we can do a thousand or two thousand tests a day now. So our testing capacity is wow. ready to go. Yeah, if you think you have symptoms, you should get tested. Everybody, if you think you have a new symptom, sore throat, fever, cough, shortness of breath, loss of sense of taste or smell, you should get tested. Don't wait. And also the second group that should get tested, if you were recently at mass demonstrations, protests and the like, you should get tested within about a week or so of that demonstration that you were a part of because uh, you could help us out to determine how much this thing's spreading. So that's kind of the scoop on testing. Very good. Good. Thanks for that. Uh, I tell you what, we have texters, we have callers. Let's uh, let's grab a call from uh, who's first up here. Anne is calling from Golden Valley, I believe. Good morning, Anne. Hi, good morning. I wanted to ask about getting flu shots in the fall. Like, there's so many clinics closed now. What will it be like? Will, it be, will we be able to get flu shots like we have in the past? 
Yes, and you will be able to, Anne, and it's a really good question. And not only will you be able to, but I strongly encourage people to get your flu shot and get it early this year. Get it as soon as it's available in September or October. Um, the reason being, influenza is um, not going anywhere. It is going to be, we don't know if it's going to be a light season. We hope it's light or a heavier season. We just don't know. But influenza is an entirely different uh, virus than is the COVID one. And you really don't want to get them both. Um, and so, and also we, we really don't, we'd love to just see influenza be a mild thing this year. So I would get your influenza vaccine as soon as it becomes available. I know at our place, we're already talking about how we're going to get those out to people at Hennepin, and I'm sure other organizations are as well. So it will, it is worth it to get your flu shot wherever you can get it, whether that be at a pharmacy or a clinic or, or some type of visiting a flu shot um, program at your church. Uh, any one of those will be really smart to do and do it in September or, or October. All right, very good. I want to alert our listeners. We have another half hour of the show to go, so if you have any kind of general health question for Dr. Hilden, by all means, send us a text or give us a call, 651-989-9226. And before the break, uh, Doctor, uh, we get this question uh, quite a lot uh, recently. And the question is, are those ventilators used on the, the virus patients able to be reused or are they discarded after each use? Yeah, if you mean the machine ventilators, the ones that keep you going in the ICU, they are definitely reused. What they have, they're they're basically just a bellows type of pump in a machine with lots of circuitry on it that just pushes air in and out of the body. The tubing between you and the machine is not reused. That is that's different. Yeah. Now, if you're it's almost like a CPAP. Mask, those are disposable. They're, you know, like the CPAP tubing. Um, you use it on yourself and you can clean it, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't go changing it off with another patient. And so we don't do that either. Those, that's a completely separated circuit. So it's always fresh for a new patient. But the machine itself, the thing you plug into the wall, that one's reused. They're, they're $30,000 a piece. So we, we definitely don't throw those away. Now, if they're talking about the masks, those are not reused. Um, um, but I think, that, that makes I think sense. that, yeah, I think we're talking about the machines there. Yeah, and um, they're they're actually not all that complicated of a machine. They just um, they just pump air in and out. So there's it's mm-hmm. a if you look inside, it's just this bellows thing. What's complicated is the circuitry that makes sure that it sends exactly the right amount of air to each person, and that that has a zillion buttons on there and knobs and stuff. And so that that's what it that's why they're so hard to operate is that it takes a skilled nurse skilled respiratory therapist and a skilled doctor to to know how to run them. But the machines themselves, nope, we keep those in a sterile storage place. All right. Very good. Let's uh, take this quick break, and I want to alert Marcia. You're going to be here for a next caller, and uh, we have a bunch of text messages, too, we can get answered here on Healthy Matters on this open line show on this Sunday morning here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters this Sunday morning. This is, uh, again, an open line show. What does that mean? You drive the show with your questions via phone or text, and that uh, number is the same for either, 651-989-9226. Dr. Hilden, we have callers and we have texters, so I think we'll just uh, put you back to work, if you don't mind. I think we promised Marcia she'd be uh, first up here in St. Paul. Marcia, thanks for waiting. What is your question? Good morning, everybody. Another gorgeous day. Actually, I don't have a question, but a comment. Um, 
Dr. Hilden, over the last few months, you have mentioned from time to time the long hours that everybody's been putting in at the hospitals. I just wanted to share with you a remark I read last week by a colleague of mine, also a healthcare worker, as am I, and it just really seems so appropriate. She had said, time is elastic in a hospital meaning it just stretches on and on when you're working as you and your crew have been. I just wanted to share that. It just seemed so appropriate. <laughs> Indeed. Elastic. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Marsha. I appreciate, I appreciate that comment. It, it's, a, it's such a weird situation in that at, in some regards, it feels like January 31st or February 1st was yesterday, but in most regards, it feels like it was 10 years ago. Uh, um, for for those of us in healthcare, and you said you were as well, so I appreciate um, whatever work you are doing as well. And it 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 does seem to stretch on and on and on. And many of my colleagues are almost in some kind of twilight zone, kind of a a, a work mode right now. It just feels like. It's just something they've never experienced before, and time is it is elastic. It just does stretch on and on, and 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 although the virus and things are changing so much, and the news about it is changing, and we learn so much about it every day, the work just seems to be um, very. Uh, it, uh, I like that word elastic. It does just seem to stretch on. And on and and I think that we have to really look at the we have to look at the mental health of the entire community, not just healthcare workers, but the entire community, because everybody's sense of time and what's normal is different during all this. Those of you who are staying at home, I'm sure time feels very weird for you as well, and um, and that's weighing on our mental health. I think a little bit, and some people are just adapting really well to it, and others aren't. Um, and the same thing at the hospital. The psyche of healthcare workers actually is something I, I get quite concerned about, um, just to see how they are managing with what is just a surreal situation at work. Also, healthcare workers have this this situation where everybody else talks about being at home and all your Zoom meetings and about how you're getting all your house projects done, and 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 healthcare workers aren't feeling that at all. They're not. Most of them haven't done any house projects and haven't been able to be with their families much because their their entirety of their day and their week and their month gets consumed by trying to battle this uh, virus. It's very very strange. It's a great comment, Marcia, and thank you for calling. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Here's a text, Doctor. Uh, my daughter had our first grandson in Los Angeles. And the texter says, if I wear an N95 industrial mask during the flight and quarantine before I go, how much risk do you think there is? By the way, it's in the grandson was born May 6th, so congratulations to Grandma and Grandma. Yeah, can, what do you, what do you yeah, think can, about the risk? Congratulations to this person who texted that question. Um, the risk of, I am of the camp that the risk of the airplane itself isn't as bad as the risk of getting to and from the airport and the terminals and all of that. Uh, now, I might be wrong on that. I'm not, an, I'm not an expert on indoor air quality, but I, I am aware of a few things. Most major airlines, and I assume not major ones as well, but certainly the big ones, have taken quite a few steps 
to make sure the planes are clean. And also they do use filters that are really good and the air exchanging mechanisms of the airplane. So that part's pretty good. What worries me the most about air travel is the fact that not all of your traveling partners will wear their masks. And so I understand that the airlines are, I don't know if they're, they're requiring or they're suggesting masks, but I've also heard they're not uh, enforcing that very strongly. And I would demand if I were to get on an airplane that the people around me wear a mask or, and I would hold the airlines accountable for that. Um, it is the, the biggest risk is that person two rows behind you uh, who's coughing. And if that person has a cough um, and they're not wearing a mask, it's putting you at risk. So that's the part I would simply insist that airlines make make people wear masks or don't allow them on the airplanes. That being said, I think that the air travel in the grand scheme of things is not at the low risk of travel. It's maybe not the highest risk, but I would say it's it's in the moderate to moderately high risk. So it all depends on your on your need to go somewhere. And that's only an individual can say. If it if it is something critically important, and I would say maybe visiting your grand new grandbaby might you might put it in that that category, then take your chances, just knowing that it's not perfectly safe. Then you might take your chances. If you're if it's a vacation, you can you can you can postpone. I certainly would, um, but I, I realize that not everything can be postponed. All right, let's uh, let's get back to the phones. So we have folks waiting there. Gil, I think, is next up in the Coon Rapids. Gil, you're on with the doctor. Thank you, uh, Doctor Hilden. Appreciate uh, getting on with you. Uh, uh, healthcare directives. Uh, can you talk a little bit about healthcare directives and kind of the, uh, uh, like many people, check off on the form, do not resuscitate, and in light of the uh, into or. COVID uh, situation and intubation and ventilators, uh, how does that work? That's a great question, Gil. Really good question. And I think all people should have some type of advanced directive, even if you're a younger person who thinks you're going to live forever. I assure you, you're not. And so I think everybody should have one. The number one thing I would do on your health care directive is designate a decision maker if you can't. That's the number one thing, um, because a piece of paper can't always anticipate the things that could happen to you. So we need someone who will act in your best interest. That's the number one thing. The number two thing, though, is to decide what types of life-sustaining measures you would like. For instance, the resuscitation efforts. And so that's important to put that on there. I would say the most common thing people put on their advanced directives in that regard is that they wouldn't mind some life-saving efforts for a short period of time. If, if, it, if, if you can save my life and I'm going to be okay at the other end of it and I just have to be in a breathing machine for a few days, go ahead and do that. But maybe don't keep me on it for months on end. A lot of people say something to that effect. The COVID thing has changed the calculus quite a bit. Um, in fact, uh, most hospitals have developed some type of schemes uh, or, or decision-making trees to decide and to guide families about what we're going to do in the event you get COVID and are not going to get better. 
because you don't want to be for months and months and months on a ventilator with no chance of coming off of it. And so most hospitals have some guidance along that that has been designed with ethical groups um, so that we do it fairly. in my hospital, we're not going to arbitrarily tell you just based on a whim of the day what we're going to and not going to do. We have developed with the entire state of Minnesota uh, an ethics guideline for when it, it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense to have you on a ventilator. Because it is the truth with COVID that some people are on ventilators for a great long time. And if you're not going to get better, it um, you just set yourself up for complications. And, and so it doesn't make sense. And in fact, would be relatively unethical to keep somebody on a ventilator for a great long period of time. That being the case, however, I encourage everybody to have an advanced directive, name somebody as your surrogate decision maker, and do give some basic guidance about what you, what your goals of care are. Mostly we're interested in what would your goals have been, and then we will help make the medical decisions to get to your goals. That's, uh, that's sort of a, a, a tenant of end-of-life planning is we want to know your goals. What was important to you? And, uh, and then we will try to get you there so that individuals don't have to make in- medical decisions. I want this. I don't want this. I want this. I don't want this. Trying to order medical interventions off an a la carte menu is hard for people to do. So we'd rather know who is your decision maker and what are your goals of care. It's a great, great question, Gil. Good question. Uh, before we get back to the text messages, let's uh, grab another call, and I know we have to take a quick break as well. Uh, Bonnie, I believe, is calling from Woodbury uh, this morning. Bonnie, you are on with Dr. Hilden. Thank you. Good morning, doctor. I'm 83, and I love to walk outside, and I go every day one or two miles, and I'm in constant anxiety over joggers and bikers and people that don't distance, and I'm tired of worrying about it. Is it much of a risk or not? You're not alone, Bonnie. You know, every, it, it, it's, it's totally normal to be worried about that. Um, so first of all, I want to make sure you know that that's, you're not alone in being anxious about that. The risk outdoors is relatively low. We never say zero, but relatively low. And I get it totally about bikers and walkers coming right by you and blowing all over you and huffing and puffing. And it is true that anytime you're close to somebody, the risk goes up a little bit. The latest scientific evidence that we have suggests that two things matter the most, close proximity to another person and length of time. So if you are within three to six feet of another person for 10 to 15 minutes, that's high risk. That would be like a restaurant. Um, uh, that's why all of the lockdown rules are so slow to open on indoor activities, a movie theater, um, indoor things, long period of time in close proximity is the, is the highest risk. If you are just running or walking by another jogger or biker, you, you're not in either one of those situations. You're not real close to them, and you're not close to them for a long period of time. So the risk is much, much lower. Furthermore, you're outdoors. So that, that lowers the risk as well. So my suggestion is to find a way to do your walks um, anyway, because getting out and being outside is important. 
Maybe walk in less traveled areas instead of the Minneapolis lakes, for instance, maybe walk in your neighborhood. If you see someone coming from 50 feet away, the courteous thing for you to both to do is give each other a wide swath. And if you see a biker or a walker coming by, um, try to give them a wide, wide berth. But, and then you could wear a mask yourself. And if you do all of those things, you are lowering your risk a great deal and probably the, the, benefit to your health and mental well-being to being outside and walking is probably worth it in those cases. I would avoid going into a place and sitting across the table from somebody, but I think going outside is worth it. Very good. Thank you, Bonnie. We need to take a quick break here, Dr. Hilden. We'll be back with uh, some text questions. We have a bunch of those, too, we'll uh, field when we uh, come back. 56 degrees, heading for 76 here in the Twin Cities. Stay with us at News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters this Sunday morning. Dr. David Hilden, your host. It's an open line show today. We still have a few minutes to uh, grab a call and some text messages. In fact, I think Janet in Minneapolis has been hanging on the line. Uh, Janet, uh, go ahead. You're on CCO. Good morning. Yes, thanks for taking my call. I have some older skin here, 82 years old. On my arms, I get tears. I can go through a door, and if I don't do it just right, it'll skin skin will tear. And what's the best thing to do with that? Sometimes it really bleeds, sometimes it don't. And I just wondered what I should do since I did it last night. <laughs> Again. Hi, Janet. Um, thank you for your call listening. Um, as our skin ages, it, it a, a process called atrophy happens. Atrophy just means it thins out and it it doesn't get as um, robust of, uh, of layers any longer. It's very common in older adults. And so what happens is that you can start to see your blood vessels are there, and the slightest bump against a wall will lead to a bruise. And again, if you hit something like a door frame, it can tear your skin because it's become um, so thin, like wet paper, you know, would tear much more easily than, say, a dry piece of paper. And so it gets... Um, that's a kind of a bad metaphor, I guess, but you know what I mean? It tears much more easily. There isn't a lot to be done to change that other than good nutrition. And secondly, I might see a dermatologist because they do have some some topical things that can at least um, make sure that your skin is robust as it can be, some things that can add some nutrients to your skin. There's not a, a lot you can do to reverse that atrophy. The other thing you might want to do is look at any medications you're taking and to make sure that you're not on some of them that cause skin breakdown. Steroids would be one very common thing to to lead to skin atrophy, Um, things like prednisone and and other steroids that people take for a variety of conditions. So see your doctor to make sure it's not a medication. Maybe try a dermatologist for some topical things and then just be super careful. Wear long sleeves and the like if you can to to avoid tearing it in the first place. I'm sorry, there's not a great reversal for that, Janet. I'm really sorry about that. All right, uh, I think we have time, a couple of minutes to go uh, before we leave today. Uh, Texter wants to know, Doctor, uh, how is the blood supply? Is there still a shortage, they want to know? I'm not sure about this week. But we have been um, needing more blood supply in the last month or so. And, and it, I really appreciate the question because it is trauma season. And, and we have needed, we always need more blood during trauma season. Um, and people are, 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 
are going to need more um, of each of the blood products. So it's a great time to get back into donating. One of the other reasons we were low for a few months is that people weren't getting out and, do- and donating for the legitimate fears. They didn't want to get sick um, while donating. I think that the blood supply centers have figured out great ways to make that a safer procedure. I never say 100% safe, but safer. So if you're um, um, thinking about donating blood, it's a great time to get back into doing that. And yes, we will be needing um, we will be needing it. And we've heard this uh, in in recent days. A newspaper reported texter says that blood type A is more likely to have serious complications from COVID-19 than other types. What do we know about that? I did hear that. Um, Right now, anything you hear about the medical science of COVID is just preliminary. Um, You know, the thing about hydroxychloroquine turned out to be a disaster. Hydroxychloroquine is not the thing to be used. And so I would just, um, everything that we no changes one week from now. So the, the the scientific evidence that is repro it's um, how do I want to say that that can we can replicate over and over again. That's the stuff that we should rely on. But there was a preliminary study that type A was um, a, at a higher risk of complications. I'm not sure if that'll pan out. Who knows what we'll be saying in a month? But I do remember that that came out not too long ago. And so I'm sure there's more research being done at that. We're doing eight research studies alone at Hennepin about COVID, just at our hospital. So thousands of studies across the world are being done. And we're just about out of time, and uh, we're going to have another show next week. We we hope you join us. I'm not even sure what the topic will be, and I'm not sure if you know what the topic will well, be. I well, I think we're going to try to do diabetes again, Denny. I'm oh, not 100% yes. sure, but we're going to try to do diabetes with my friend, Dr. Laura LaFave. We'll see how that goes, but I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to do. Good deal. We'll talk to you next Sunday morning. Thank you, Dr. David Hilden. Uh, yeah, we'll be back again next uh, Sunday morning with more Healthy Matters right here on News Talk 830 WCCO. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.